Kobe came in very aggressive his rookie year, right? You know, and people just, like, forget that he averaged, like, I think 7 or 12 points his rookie year in the league. He wasn't always averaging 31, 32, 33. But there were moments where he went went up and when he needed to put up 35 points in a game or dunked on somebody, whatever it was, right? He built on his confidence and doubled down on it. He was humble, but he was definitely assertive, for a better use of words, right? <laughs> he was going to tell you that he was assertive and he was uh, confident in himself. So I think that the more that people can do that, you know, and, and especially a lot of people who might be minorities and you, you might be, you know, I can either go into this environment where I'm not as comfortable and it's something new or I can kind of maybe just play it safe and just stay right here. I mean, take the jump, you know, of course, be smart, definitely cross your T's and dot your I's, but take the jump, you know, make make a name for yourself, bet on yourself, you know, I'll bet on myself 10 times out of 10. doing out there folks this is your host with the most kenny vaughn i play for team breakline and i'm joined once again with my partner in crime what is up everybody it is sophia i also play for team breakline and welcome back to the breakline arena y'all we have per usual an epic conversation lined up and right before we get to it i want to give a little bit of a shout out to one of our reviewers Samantha Arena 09 gave us five stars. Five stars, Kenny? Come on now, come on. And this is what she had to say. Perfect podcast to listen to inspirational stories and stimulating discussions. The speakers yes. always seem to hit a topic exactly at the right time. Their enthusiasm and notable passion for their work always has me feeling energized and ready to take on the day. I would highly recommend this podcast for anyone to hear it. Thank Samantha, you, Samantha, we yeah. appreciate you. You are the best. And if you would like to be featured on the Breakline Arena, y'all head on over to Apple Podcasts. You know what to do. Submit a review. It really helps the show um, and helps us spread the good word. So anyways, Kenny, what is the good word? Tell us about it. Mm, thank you once again, Sam. And folks, for those listeners who are new to the arena, we are out here trying to drop some insights. We have some phenomenal just leaders within the tech industry who come in and they give us this behind the scenes look into their companies, their organizations, leadership lessons, these great philosophies. And oh, by the way, you get a chance to hear from our Breakline community, our alums. So we're super excited to share these stories. We get a chance to talk to one of our Breakline alums today. We have Andrew Powell, AP, in the building. Um, really just dropping some insight and some knowledge about his professional journey in sales and also his experience at Confluent. For those of y'all who might not know about Confluent, it is huge in the data space. Companies are using data real time. So for those of you who are into this field, if you're not, I would encourage you to check out some of the use cases, but it really is a revolutionary technology. So Sophia, as you were listening to this conversation, what were some of the things that, that you loved? What were some insights that you gained? Yes. All right, y'all. Mega baller alert. The co-founder and the CEO of Confluent, Jay Kreps, he actually came and spoke to our Breakline community earlier this year. Mm. Um, and the company, y'all, Confluent is an absolute rocket ship. They actually IPO'd earlier this year, which 
the discussion surrounding that was my favorite part of this conversation that y'all are about to hear with AP. He really speaks about the culture, about the camaraderie, and just the sheer energy around that milestone for the entire company. I thought it was so cool to get a peek behind the curtain for that. How about you, Kenny? I know that, that you got to sit down with AP. Oh man, when I tell you this brother had me fired up from wire to wire, it was just such a fun conversation. And I think the coolest thing that I saw as a theme throughout our our discussion was just the hustle, Mm. the grit, the resiliency that he has shown throughout the course of his entire lifetime. And it was funny because, you know, he, he speaks a decent amount about his career in tire sales. When I say this gentleman has absolutely crushed it in the sales arena, I mean, he was president's club, crushing quotas, just absolutely nailing it with everything that he was doing. What this conversation did for me is it really highlighted one of the break line tenets, which is that excellence is transferable. So to see him apply that same rigor, that same attention to detail, that same mastery that he had built in tire sales and now transfer that over to software sales, it was fascinating. So I think our listeners are really going to enjoy this conversation Regardless of whether or not you're coming from a sales background, there are just some great insights and work ethic that he shares with our audience and our community. So super excited to be able to share this conversation and hope everyone enjoys it as much as we did. So on that note, Sophia, I don't know about you, but uh, maybe we should give the listeners what they came here for. Let's dive in. We will see you guys on the other side. AP, how you doing today, good sir? Man, good evening, good evening. I'm doing great. I'm honored to be on this with you, man. It's, it's, it's a blessing. Well, I tell you what, one of the, the things that I love most about our Breakline community is we have some amazing alumni, folks who have some amazing stories, different backgrounds, different origin stories. And today, that's a huge part of the reason why I'm just super excited to talk to you. Huge inspiration, just getting a chance to work with you as you're coming through our program. But for all of our listeners and folks who might not have have got a chance to meet you yet, would love if you could just share a little bit about your background, where you're from. It's anything that you'd like to share for our listeners. Definitely, definitely appreciate it. All right, so uh, Andrew, Andrew Powell, uh, as you know, a lot of people call me by AP. Right now, I'm working at Confluent, which is a great opportunity through the break, break line education. As far as my background, a lot of my family is from Trinidad and Tobago. So, you know, I'm a dual citizen myself. So family and culture is really big to me. I was definitely fortunate to get a visit, you know, Trinidad once, twice, three times a year growing up my whole life. So I think that played a big part in who I am, how I look at family and kind of how I look at, you know, definitely being um, assertive in your life and what you want to get, you know. Also, uh, I was born in Dallas, Texas moved around a lot. I mean, I could sit here for five minutes listing off every school I went to in every city, <laughs> uh, places like LA, Chicago, Wisconsin. But I did go to uh, high school in Seattle, Washington. Um, after that, went to Texas Tech University. After Tech, I worked for a good year for about nine years before uh, entering into breakdown education. So definitely got to move around, see a lot of the world, get a lot of, you know, just a lot of ingredients in my background. So it's, it's, it's paid off so far. Okay, well, I appreciate that introduction and love hearing more about people's origin stories. Can you tell me a little bit more about Trinidad and Tobago? Because, you know, I got some family roots not too far from your stomping grounds. I got mm-hmm. some family roots in Dominica, so I know yeah. a little something about the West Indies. Yeah. But for those who might not be in the know, <laughs> can you shed a little light as to how that impacted your childhood and your upbringing? 
man. So one thing is uh, a lot of people don't realize that Trinidad and Tobago is six miles from Venezuela. Population is like 1.5, 1.6 million. So it's a small island, but it's got a huge culture. It's very diverse. I mean, demographics, it's like 40% black, another 40% like Indian. Then you got, you know, obviously a heavy Venezuelan, Grenadian. There's Dominicans there, right? It's, it's a lot of people. So one big thing going back is that like, you know, in America and in Europe and a lot of countries we visit frequently, you see a lot of big chains of big of companies, whatnot, right? Obviously still in Trinidad as well. You have your chains. But one thing I saw is like everybody in my family owns their own business. So it's like a certain level of assertiveness and a certain level of pride in the work you do on a daily basis, partially because that's your branding, right? Like we have we have a, a bunch of corner stores. My my grandpa, you know, had real estate, he had a pig farm. I could keep going okay. on and on and on, right? I could go on and on, right? But a big thing about it was like, you know, not only do we own a family business, but I'm growing the business to pass to my family. And this is also how I feed my family. So I definitely grew up working, I mean, in a, in a family towards like, hey, look, we're working, yes, to feed the family, put the food on the table, but it's also taking pride in what you do and kind of always thinking of that next step. So I think for me, I kind of always grew up realizing, like, hey, if I want to own a business, I can own a business. If I want to do this, I can do this. The only, the only thing we will hold me back in my personal situation to be myself and just being assertive and knowing what I want to do. So uh, I think that really kind of pushed me from a young age to kind of take a lot of things serious as far as like school, college, career. So it definitely paid off. And on top of that, we got the best food in the world. So if that's oh, not enough, on, if that's now. not enough to convince you to take a trip down there when COVID, <laughs> when COVID comes down, go ahead and do it. You know, we got carnival, we got everything. Shark and bake, bake a shark, roti. That's a, that's a different story, different day, right? But yeah, <laughs> mm, you make you making me hungry. You make me hungry over here, AP. So one of the themes that I can already tell from your background, and I kind of got this sense from you from the time we got a chance to work together, is there is definitely this entrepreneurial spirit that just kind of permeates from your family. Can you share a little bit more? Did that come from your your mom's side, your dad's side? Did you have any experiences just growing up where? you saw that example of that get out and hustle and grind kind of mindset and mentality? Definitely, definitely. So especially my mom's side, I mean, I was really, really close to my grandpa, right? Like I kind of mentioned earlier, he had a 10 acres where he had a pig farm, farm, a bunch of different, just like fruits, a bunch of just different harvests. We had a couple of different houses, right? So you'd have some tenants in there. I mean, a big thing too, growing up, even after he passed, I watched one of my uncles turn one of our houses into a full-on corner store, right? And then, you know, kind of start expanding the business. <clears throat> so from seeing that growing up and being a part of it, I mean, because I would go down for the whole summer. I'd go down for the whole Christmas break. So you're kind of like, one summer you come down, they're building this, and then it's like, hey, can you help me with this? And it's not like I'm getting put to work as a laborer, right? But it's like I'm hanging out with my uncles and aunties who I love, and I, we have fun. So I'm helping stock this. I'm helping doing this. And you kind of like subconsciously watch them grow the business. You subconsciously mm. watch them do this. I'm going with my uncle to the bank to deposit the money. I'm meeting with the banker and sitting down with him. So from a young age, I'm kind of like watching all this and it's like cool to me. It's, now, when you say young age, how are we talking here? How are we talking when I mean, you say young age, brother? I've been going to Trinidad since like, since I was on to get on a plane. So, I mean, when I was like young, young, like in elementary school, I'd go down for the whole three months of summer, two and a half, whatever it is, right? And then I'd go down for the whole Christmas break, even into into high school, really. So, I mean, I remember being like eight years old, flying down by myself because I was out of school early and I, I want to go see my, my family. So my parents said, hey, look, you know, go fly by yourself. We'll come down when we can get some time for work or when it's the middle of summer, right? I'd go, I'd go down with my little brother. So 
I definitely got to see that really young. On my dad's side, <clears throat> a really cool, a really cool thing is that on my grandpa on my dad's side in Queens, he was actually the first black illustrator in Sports Illustrated, right? So he actually, really? he actually, yeah, he actually had a three-story building where the bottom was like a art studio. He had a photo studio, and then of course the you know tops top suite is where you know where he lived and everything. So. I feel like I have a lot of talented people in my family. And I think a part of it too, as far as being prideful, is I definitely kind of grew up competitive. Like, man, I can't be the one who doesn't do anything, you know? So I got a whole life to figure out what I'm gonna do so that when I, you know, the day comes where I pass or when I'm the old person in a rocking chair asking for a cranberry juice because I can't get up anymore. It's like, oh, <laughs> and Andrew did this, you know, Andrew did that, or, you know, what, what my name's known by. So. I think it's good because it keeps a lot of pride in everybody to like, hey, look, you know, we're all doing a piece to add to the family. What's your piece going to be? You know, without having to ask, it's just you just feel it. So I think sometimes, especially when we think about entrepreneurship, there is a lot of trepidation around getting out there, getting started. And what I love about what you're sharing is it was an opportunity to connect with family. It was an opportunity to work, but also to learn a skill to grow a business and you talking about at the age of eight talk about some independence you, you talk about getting <laughs> on planes and traveling internationally and and doing i mean that's that's big moves and so to see it just baked into your experience i think that is uh really a great foreshadowing of of some of the professional success that you've experienced which i absolutely want to talk to you about here in a second. So tell me how we end up in Dallas. Tell me about tell me about this Texas journey. So yeah, so my no, my dad was born here, but my mom was born in Trinidad. So she didn't get to America until she was like 23, right? Got you, um, got you, got you. Yeah, my dad got to grow up, you know, in most of his childhood, you know, high school years, like in Jamaica, Queens, and then sp spent some time in private school swimming. He was a really good swimmer before going to the military. So they kind of had these different paths and then kind of met in the middle in Dallas. Uh, I couldn't tell you what year. But anyway, <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't here yet. But they met in Dallas, Christ for Nation, Bible school. I came to the picture. And then when I came to the picture, a bunch of people from Trinidad started moving to Dallas, basically. Which is funny because to this day, my cousins will say, man, I come to America, I could go straight to the airport and holding you in the hospital. You know what I mean? <laughs> and since that day, I've still been in Dallas. You know what I mean? <laughs> so some people moved back. Some people still here. I love it, man. But um, yeah, so that's kind of that story played. And the funny thing is, growing up, when we started moving around, I always told my family, hey, look, I'm going to make it back to Dallas, you know, after college. Just let me get on my own and do my own thing. And I'm going to get back here and get a house. And that kind of story kind of played into itself. So that's what that went, man. Yeah. So I know you ended up going to Texas Tech, getting your bachelor's in business administration. Do you think you think those childhood experiences informed that decision? Can you kind of walk me through how you ended up on that path? Definitely. I definitely knew that I wanted to get back to Texas. So my parents went from to graduate high school and moved to Texas as well. You know, I did. Uh, I think that a big piece of that is when I went to Tech, I didn't know anybody, right? Because I got into high school in Seattle, but moving around so much and also kind of like just growing up, going to a different country and it kind of being like almost your hometown, you're moving around. I was pretty like confident just going somewhere and kind of make my own roots. So it definitely played a part. I want to go somewhere I had a good education, definitely be affordable and, you know, diverse to a degree. So it definitely kind of played into it. You know, my dad definitely was the first person to put the Texas Tech bug on my ear. So shout out to him for that. But uh, it played out well, you know, and then from there, um, went to Houston first for work. 
that was a great experience kind of deep diving into you know the whole the whole career piece and deep diving into sales and whatnot so yeah it was it was a great opportunity great opportunity and and one good thing about going to tech too is i had a couple different avenues to go at as far as post-college so you know that's all you can really ask for so this is a great segue because one of the questions that I definitely want to ask you about is I think there's a lot of misperception about the sales industry. Mm-hmm. And I know that you spent almost a decade in sales. How did mm-hmm. you end up in sales? And then more specifically, how did you end up in tire sales? Because that's, <laughs> there's got to be a story behind that. I mean, I want to know how, how did that leap happen? So... This is a crazy story. So in high school, I started, you know, I was a valet, which I wouldn't say sales was customer service, but I was actually selling knives for vector marketing, cocoa knives, where you sell a set of knives and it's like $1,200. So I started doing that and I was like, I was killing it, you know? And then I got put on key staff. So I'm like 17 years old, like training other people on how to sell knives, which is looking back at it, it's hilarious because I was so ambitious, right? So leaving high school, I had a lot of sales experience. Going into college. I gotta, I gotta, you know, I got to pause you right there. You know, you know, you know, I can't let you share that story and not have you unpack that a little bit. Tell me about these knives. Can you, you have, you have some fun. I know you have at least one funny story from high school having to sell these high end, you know, kind of Ginsu, Ginsu style kind of knives. So the funny thing is, is like you can get a set of knives for probably $50, $100, $300, $400, right? I'm walking door to door in my neighborhood with like trying to sell them on like, the packs of knives, like, and I'm not even trying to sell the individual knives. And the technology is actually pretty good. I had the knives myself, and I've had them for like 12 years. Excuse me, but one funny story, man, is that I remember I went to one of <laughs> one of my neighbors neighbors' houses. Right, I was friends with uh, their their kid who went to college with me. So he, we're, I'm selling the knives. The wife's interested. He's interested, and he basically stops me and goes, so are you trying to sell me these knives or are you trying to impress my daughter? And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, this, is, this is strictly business. <laughs> this is strictly business. This is strictly business. This is a great product. Let me do a demonstration for you. So yeah, he ended up buying it. But it's, it's definitely a different kind of thing when somebody's dad's like, hey, you know, why are you really trying to sell these knives? That was the funny story, man. But most experiences are good. Definitely got some stories where it's like one of the spouses – wants to buy and the other doesn't because it's $1,200, you know, and you kind of like, you're sitting here just watching them argue and it's like, okay, I kind of, it's kind of awkward. I kind of want to leave, but I think I'm gonna get the sale. So I'm just going to sit here and just, you know, be quiet and let them do the thing. And, you know, just answer any questions they have and go from there. So that was my, my knife sales career. So, yeah. So but, um, in terms, in terms of some of these experiences, because you, you know, you know, I have to ask, what what do you think gave you that confidence to you know to just put yourself out there and just make the ask? Because a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people don't possess that, and so would love to hear just like, is that something that you think was just from those summers in Trinidad and Tobago, or what was it that gave you just the confidence to be able to do that? And then the resiliency, right? Because I'm assuming as someone who has not spent a lot of time in sales, that a lot of times you're gonna get a no. So can you just kind of share like some of the psychology that led you to really enjoy just pursuing the next sale? I think that honestly, the big thing growing up at my house, if you like wanted anything, you had to like negotiate. Which, okay. I mean, 
I'm okay. rolling my eye, I'm rolling my eyes right now, really in the back in my head. But you had to negotiate everything. So like, if I was growing up and I'm like 13, 14 years old and I need books for school, I could like put the books on Excel, put the price, make the formula, so puts the total. And I got an email to my dad, and I got to go into his office and tell him why I need it. And then he's like, what did your mom say? And then I got to like sell my mom on it. And then it's been like 30 minutes. And I'm like, look, I could drop out if you'd like, but I would like these books so I can go to school. So you're the one that told me to go to school. I have no problem sitting home and doing nothing and just doing chores all day. You know what I mean? So I kind of grew up in a household where it was like everything was kind of, uh, I wouldn't say cumbersome, but it wasn't like any of just layups. You know what I mean? I had everything I needed growing up, but it was definitely like, uh, hey, why do you need this? Uh, when I was your age, I didn't have this, da da da, da right? So you got to, I, I think growing up, like in my dad's part, it's for sale or anything. And I actually sold him a pair of Cutco knives, but it took like three years. So oh. <laughs> that's probably the sale I'm the most proud of. That's top, I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you, is that a crowning achievement? <laughs> he swore, he'd be like, man, take these knives off my table. Like, why? I told you about keeping these knives in the kitchen, right? They still have the same pair of knives to this day. So, I, if anything, he needs to pay me a little commission for keeping oh, them safe this long. You right? said that so, was that was the most fulfilling three-year sales cycle of your life, huh? Man, my mom was like, "Wow!" She was like, "I didn't even think he was gonna buy them at all." Because he was so he's like, "Man, I can go to Costco. I can do Costco this, Costco that." Boom, boom, boom. So, what what um, ended up what ended up turning the deal? You know, I gotta ask you. What ended up turning the deal? He bought two different pairs of knives, and one time I was at the house, and I was like. Man, this 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 second set looks like it's getting dull. Well, I'm gonna send you this picture of my cuckoo knives because they're still remember that 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 demo set I had. They're 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 still sharp. And he kind of looked at me and was like, "Where's the pamphlet?" <laughs> I was like, ah, "I got him finally." I knew I knew it was coming out of time. You know, he just had a he had to have his own personal use case. <laughs> he had to see it, and then I was like, you know. If you, I think I said, if you buy a new pair of knives every two years and you pay three hundred dollars over the next ten years, before I can finish the sentence, he was like, "All right, all right, I get it. We'll just, we'll just, you know, we'll just talk about it later." You know, so sometimes you got to, you know, let people tell their own story. Oh man, okay. So fast forward, we're graduated from Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. We're staying in the Texas area. Mm-hmm. How do you end up in in at Goodyear of all places? How did that journey transpire? So. So my concentration in college was supply chain management. This is before it was like a standalone supply chain major uh, or uh, uh, major, yeah, degree. So it's funny because I was working at Texas Tech at the Daily Torridor. I was like the campus representative. So I was like liaison with like our house accounts for advertising in the school newspaper. So I was once again doing a sales job. And in my head, I was like, man, I don't want to do sales anymore. I'm doing anything but sales. So I had a couple of supply chain opportunities rotational programs like oil and gas companies another mechanical company and i was at the career fair my senior my fall my senior year so my second last semester and i'm walking by the booth and i see goodyear and i'm like okay and the hr guy was like hey you you know you want to talk about us real quick and i was like uh and i can't remember the exact words he said but i could tell i could trust him you know i could i could definitely tell that he was somebody that was trustworthy after that we uh, kind of had a conversation going back and forth, and he made a really, really good point, which was, hey, you can either sit in the office and sit, you know, sit in a desk and kind of do the same thing every day, which is perfectly fine because some people build for it. You look the kind of person that probably likes to travel and wants to have, you know, communication back and forth and be able to move around, work from home, talk to customers. Every day is a different day. 
I'm sitting here, and I'm like, this guy's read my mind. You know what I mean? Like, travel, this, <laughs> talk to people. I'm kind of good at it. Okay, end up interviewing, going through the sales sales cycle. One thing I really liked or the, the interviewing process, uh, cycle process, one thing that kind of caught me was, like, they had a very they had a diverse leadership, right? Every other company I've, I've, I've kind of dealt with, I didn't get that feeling, which is fine. But it kind of gives a little bit of, a bit of comfort, and you can kind of see yourself in those different chairs eventually. The VP of sales, he was black, so that was really cool. We kind of related, had some cool stuff you could talk about. And there's a lot of women in prominent places of power as well and, and positions. So I was kind of like, okay, this might be a really good situation. And I kind of felt conviction that it was the right decision. But logically, I was kind of like, uh, the supply chain role seemed really safe. So I ended up taking taking that job, going with Goodyear, which is crazy, man, because I'm the tire guy, right? So everybody calls me for these tire-related questions to this day. Like I'm a data, like I'm a tire scientist, man. It's crazy, man. Hey, man, which tire should I get? I mean, I don't even. I've never owned a pickup truck ever. You know, I sell truck <laughs> tires, but okay. You know what I mean? So that's how that's how I ended up going to Goodyear, man. It was, it was one of the best decisions I ever made, though. Definitely. So you end up spending almost a decade at Goodyear, and yep. would love to hear from your perspective. What did you take away from that experience? What was your formative um, moment? What was what were some of the biggest lessons learned that you had from your time with with that organization? One thing they did a really good job of doing is that you kind of write your own path, right? Um, they don't micromanage you, especially like I was in the commercial sales development program, and you have a mentor, you have resources there that's there every day, but. As far as you following what you're supposed to do, as far as you going above and beyond, as far as you network with other salespeople and kind of proving your personal brand and kind of pushing your career in a different direction, that's on you to do that. You need to be vocal about it. You need to basically like take initiative. And sometimes in some career paths, you can kind of just go with the flow and naturally follow up the escalation of where you're going to do next. So for me, I think one big thing was just really being being able to kind of like be myself and kind of tap into, okay, I've been prepared for this my whole life without knowing. I've been selling knives. I've been negotiating with my parents. Boom. Kind of getting a go with it, you know? Um, got to move around. I was in Houston. Then I was in North Carolina and Virginia area in the Southeast. Saw a lot of new things. And then, you know, I ended up coming back to Dallas. So, I mean, I traveled. The last position I was in, my territory was from Texas to Hawaii. So, I mean, I'm working on, on accounts in Iowa, California, all over the place, right? So, this from very, very young, had opportunity to call on enterprise accounts, close really big deals, long sales cycles. So, I think it kind of like really showed me what I'm capable of. And there isn't necessarily like an age number on that, you know? So, before I brag on you a little bit, can you share a little bit more about like the size and the scope of, of some of your deals for folks who don't have a ton of insight into the sales industry. Can you just give us a little bit of a peek behind the curtain into, you know, how you measure success, how you, um, how, because it's an ultra competitive industry. Mm-hmm. So can, for those folks who are not super familiar with, with sales and don't have a sales background, can you give a little bit more context and granularity there? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I think one thing that people don't understand is especially specifically in the tire industry is that, Okay, you know, you're buying tires for your car and it costs 150 I was working in the commercial space, it's a commercial sector. You know, one of these tires might cost $350, $400, $700, right? So a lot of these deals, when we quote these customers, we're quoting on an annual spend, we're quoting $300,000, $350,000, you know, $1 million, $4 million, $8 million, $12 million. It's very, very big deals, right? You have all these 
government entities, right? If you live in the city of DeSoto, city of Dallas, all of those have pickup trucks, okay? You have sand trucks, you have salt trucks up north when, you know, when it, when it snows and everything. It's like all that equipment needs tires, they need maintenance, they need to be aired up, they need to be checked on, you need to dispose of the old tires, you got to pay for staff. So these deal sizes are very easily seven figures, right? And you're also being very competitive because you have all these brands coming from outside the country that are trying to slash prices that might offer the same value, the same business IT tools, the same maintenance and, and just knowledge, right? And supply points in the country. But it's ultra competitive. And every day there's a new brand coming off a container. So, you know, especially when I got deeper into my career working in markets like Houston, right? Right by a port, um, working in the Carolinas where that, there's different competitive situations. You kind of saw that, look, a lot of times I'm going to be a higher price than our competitors, but I'm selling myself as a resource. I'm always available. I'm going to be ahead of the of the eight ball. I'm going to make sure that we're, we're communicating everything. We have the best program in place that you can have reduced downtime. And, and then just also that we have a lot of tools outside of just the tire itself that you're getting with it, right? So you might, somebody might offer you the same tire for $50 less, but I'm giving a lot of extra things, right? As far as residual value that they're not getting with a competitor's tire. So there are big deal sizes, but the best thing for me is like, you know, one of the best wins I had was with a really big food hauler and I was like 24, right? And I remember I closed the deal and like one of our VPs calls me when I'm driving home to Raleigh on the road. And that was a really good feeling. Cause I'm like, man, I'm this young and I can close this. Like I'm only holding myself back by thinking I'm not prepared or ready for certain things. Yes. You have to put the work in and you got to definitely give people deference where needed, but it just kind of tells you like, you can't do these things, but thinking you can't or not being assertive enough is what holds us back a lot of times. Mm. So one of the things that I love about our Breakline community, and you know, I, I gotta give the listeners the tea. I gotta give the Breakline home team the tea. One of the things I love about our Breakline community is the humility that all of our alumni have. And so I'm gonna brag on you a little bit, but I know in 2015, you were a finalist for Goodyear Salesman of the Year that year, you brought in 150% of your new tire quota, 220% of your retread quota that year. I mean, these are these are astronomical numbers when you're talking sales and, and really big quotas. What do you attribute your success to as you've kind of embarked in this journey in your particular industry? Man, I want to say a lot of things, man. I want to say like part of it was kind of being prepared for it. Uh, my parents and my family, like we kind of talked about earlier, they're really like family driven, but a lot of being family driven is also being career driven because you got to feed your family, right? You got to be there for your family. And, and, and unfortunately, or unfortunately, or fortunately, that requires money, right? And, and, and stability. So I think that, and honestly, I think a really big piece to it is definitely that I was just trying to make a name for myself. I'm very prideful, you know, sometimes to a fault. And the best way to do that is to go out there, um, kill all of your numbers, crush it, you know, be a quota crusher. And that automatically gives you respect and people look to you in a certain light, you know, and from there, you can kind of make your name for yourself and kind of go from there. Right. So I think a big piece is just like, what do you want to be when people say your name? You know, one of my mentors is tell me, like, what's your brand? We're all walking around like Sims. We have something over our head. Are you the guy that's just doing it? Are you, are you the person that's kind of being lazy or are you the the guy or the gal that's like, oh, 
even if they have a bad month, I know they're going above and beyond effort-wise, which means next month's going to be good, you know? So I think for me, it was making that. And I know that I want to do what I want out of life. Yeah, I want to make a certain kind of money, I want to have a certain kind of success, a certain level of comfort. And, you know, that's just one of the building blocks to do it. And I was, I was young. I didn't know anybody. And some people, you know, and especially if you're listening and you might have an opportunity in a new city or a new area you've never been to, I think it's people underestimate the fact that when you go somewhere new, it forces you out of your comfort zone. It forces you to also kind of redefine who you are. You don't have all those people holding you to standards of who you are from college or who you are from your 20s or where you were, right? So you kind of sit back and like, oh, I want to change this. And you change it because there's nobody necessarily trying to drag you back to where you were, right? And then on top of that, you have all this free time that you're not spending going to like random happy hours and doing random stuff with your friends. So what are you doing? Working? thinking about work, dreaming about work. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you definitely have to have a balance, right? I was in a gym. I was probably in the best shape of my life as well, too, right? But I was working. I would come home from work and have my laptop and watch the basketball game, have a nice meal. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't necessarily, you know, putting my head in the, you know, driving myself into the ground, but I was working a lot. I was putting a lot of extra hours in, which kind of accelerated my process of getting the product knowledge, my process of hitting my numbers quickly because I was putting that extra time in that, other people might not, or I might not have, if I was still in Houston and had all my friends to keep up with and I was doing et cetera, et cetera. So it was kind of like, uh, for my Dragon Ball Z fans, it's kind of like going to the hyperball chamber, you know, and you get it going there. Just, <laughs> you're, in, you're in there for one day, but it feels like a year, you know? Some of y'all going to get that reference. If you, if you don't, we're going to have to get you up to speed, but some of y'all going to get that <laughs> reference right there. Okay, so you, you're one of our Breakline Apex originators you were one of our very early breakline apex classes how did you know it was time to make the pivot because as i'm listening to your story this does not sound at the surface like a very linear transfer from you know from the tire industry into the work that you're doing now at confluence so can you tell me how you knew it was time to make that transition and then share a little bit more about your breakline experience yeah definitely definitely so First and foremost, you know, definitely appreciate everybody a good year. All the mentors, all the coworkers, they still reach out to me on a weekly basis. So I really appreciate it. I have a lot of good relationships. For me personally, I felt like knowing where I wanted to go in the future, knowing that I kind of want to stay in a sales path and looking at the potential opportunities, I was just moving up and kind of also just having a really extreme passion for technology in general. I kind of felt like, you know, at the time, you know, I'm 31, but I need to kind of think like I'm 41 or 51 and kind of place myself now where I think it's going to give me a lot of mobility and a lot of potential as ages, right? So I, I, I definitely kind of felt like, okay, the companies that kind of have the roles, capacities that I like and, and dealing with the technology that I, I like fall into the tech space. So I probably need to make that change. December of 2020, I graduated from my MBA. So by doing that, I felt like it definitely gave me the time and the free time outside of work to be able to digest deep diving into a whole different space, whole different products, you know, cause I've been in an industry with the same sales motion for so long. So I kind of felt that, you know, a person just prayed on it and just kind of felt like it was a good time. With that being said, the break line, uh, education opportunity, um, presented itself at the same time as well. So, you know, things happen for a reason, a lot of times, and the timing was perfect going from there. You know, starting with Breakline, you know, speaking with you a lot, Zane, I could I could see and list off everybody. So I'm just going to put 
at Breakline just to, <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to bring it everybody. It was just really good to kind of talk to talk to you guys and just going through the different, you know, education sessions we do on a weekly basis. One, especially you, your energy is crazy. Your energy is so good. So like you're kind of like breathing. This, you're kind of breathing. You're breathing. You breathe a lot of good energy in a lot of people. And a lot of people, unfortunately, have a lot of negativity coming from different angles, work, family, friends, life, whatever's happening, right? Which is whatever, whatever storm they're going through. So I think one thing was like kind of answering into break line and made it, you know, you definitely, it's like a second person telling you on your shoulder, like, hey, look, you can make this transition easily and kill it. You can do really good with it, right? So I think that was, for one, going through the process that helped a lot. And then also like looking at your alumni board. I mean, you can see all the different companies people have gone to, Google. BMC, Cloudera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? Facebook. So it definitely it kind of definitely lets you know, okay, like people have made this transition. You can go on their LinkedIn. You can see that they've made progressions, promotions from there. You can see how they're doing. In the Breakline family, a lot of people are very open to being references as well. So they'll call you. You can call them. They'll set up a call with you, like take time out of their after work day, answer questions you have, let them know what they did. So that experience for me was like life-changing. You know, it was definitely life changing. And when people kind of ask me, you know, hey, how'd you get to where you are now? I'm like, let's sit down, let's talk. Let's have a conversation or like, hey, uh, call me after work. I'll be home from the gym at seven. I'll give you a call and let's talk, you know. So for me, it was a great experience. And I, like, like I said, man, I still, that, that was kind of like for me personally, kind of godsend because it was a perfect way to transition without being blind. Because sometimes that, that transition from the tire space to the tech space that can be a very blind transition where you don't necessarily fully know what you're getting yourself into. So I think Breakline does a great job positioning you where you can win, kind of talking you through where you should go and, and really just being, th being there for you every step of the way from the pre-process to the middle of it to the post as well. Like I know right now if I needed to, I could definitely reach out and you guys will still be resources for me. So that means a lot. That's why we use the word family, you know, Breakline family. Come on now. Now, you know, I appreciate you, brother. You know, I do. And, and, you know, I feel like I feel like the feeling is absolutely mutual because I know at least for me and our experiences, I always just try to be a reflection of the energy that you brought into the process. Right. And I think that's the that's the beautiful thing about our community is like everyone is so deeply invested in each other's success. So to see you come in and to see you win in the way that in which you did and and what's cool about it is we've seen and this is this is where our energy and optimism comes from is just looking at your track record of demonstrated excellence bro i mean we're talking mm -hmm. about president's club you know and, and for those folks like i say not in the sales industry president's club pretty darn big deal right so we're talking mm -hmm. about all these markers of excellence and that's that's why we really do have that truism at Breakline is that excellence is transferable, right? Because mm -hmm. all of those things that you talked about, that work ethic, that determination, that hunger, that thirst to just continue to learn and to grow, I mean, those are all very tangible skills that I know you're taking into your role at Confluent. So it's, it's just a blessing to be a part of the process on the other side as well, man. So I appreciate you sharing that. And um, shoot, now, now that we know how the story ends, <laughs> we'd love to hear if you could tell our listeners a little bit more about the role that you have at Confluent. Tell us about the organization. What's your day-to-day -day like? We'd love to hear what that, what that uh, looks like for you now. Definitely, definitely. So 
um, now, um, definitely had a great opportunity to work at Confluent. I'm probably, what, my seventh or eighth week, so I'm almost two months. I'm still ramping on the user success team, uh, the enterprise enterprise user success team. So I'm essentially my role at SDR. So it was a big transition. You know, I went from just kind of being a person who's like closes deals and a very strategic small patch of customers I'm focusing on a day-to-day to kind of helping different account executives essentially funnel, fill the pipeline you know, scheduling meetings and basically trying to set up customers for them to close deals with. So for me, there's a perfect position to come into because not only am I going to talk to a wide patch of customers, I'm talking to customers in the insurance market, banking, manufacturers, IoT, et cetera, et cetera. One, one big thing is, is that I'm getting a lot of exposure and talking to a lot of account executives and talking to my manager, I'm talking to my mentors who have done this kind of role, who've worked at all these different companies, and it's kind of like giving me an expedited, you know, university on to middleware, into open source, into, you know, how to communicate with architects, developers, data scientists, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, when I came in, there was definitely, a, I mean, huge learning curve. I'd be exaggerating if I said I just walked in and knew everything about it, right? I thought I could just pick everything up in two weeks. That was very ambitious of me. But you know what I mean? I'm still I'm still learning I'm still learning stuff to this day, right? One great thing I would say, definitely shout out to my mentor, you know, James Smith, um, who's also a breakline uh, alumni as well, which is which is really, really cool. He's in Austin. I've been moving down to Austin in October, so definitely looking forward to uh, getting to kind of meet him a little closer. You know, my my direct manager right now, Anthony, Phil, Ramsey, I can keep going on and on, right? But one big thing is that like there's a very, very big support system. So like as I made this transition. It's like, hey, look, every day we're going to touch base. We're going to definitely walk through, you know, what you did well. You ask us questions of what you want to work on. We're going to kind of always give you a very good debrief on different, you know, the technologies and, hey, you're working on this account. This is how you can work through it. This is how you want to communicate. This is how we're prospecting. One big thing that I took for advantage a little bit, probably a good year, was prospecting, the process of prospecting. You know, my respect for prospecting in this tech space is, is huge, right? There's different platforms I'm using, you know, it's just, it's, I could go into detail about that for a couple of hours, but I feel like the knowledge I gained over two months is going to definitely propel me. Like it's, it's a giant trampoline for the future. So I definitely feel blessed to have like that kind of support system at work, you know, and it's a place where I definitely automatically felt comfortable. They have a very diverse employee pool, right? All, all kinds of different, you know, backgrounds, of people. So it's really cool when you get out one-on-ones with some people and you kind of get to have a side conversation. It's just like, oh man, this is, you know, this guy or gal has a background I didn't know about. I'm learning stuff about them and, you know, and their culture, just where they come from in the United States, whatever they've been doing. Right. So I think it's been a great experience and we, you know, we're definitely selling a technical service, technical product. So for that, I think it's really good because although I had to kind of jump into it, as far as being referred back to the rest of the tech industry, I probably already have a little bit more knowledge than I have, than some friends I have that have been in the tech space for four or five years already. So it's been great so far. So earlier this year, we had the privilege of hearing from your CEO, Jay Kreps, and just want to give a huge shout out to Jay and the entire Confluent team. Y'all recently went through an IPO and mm-hmm. would love to hear your experiences as to what it's like being at Confluent in this moment as you all are experiencing this rapid growth, this tremendous success. Can you give us a little insight into what it feels like just in terms of the company and the company culture? 
Yeah, so, you know, obviously I came in at the, you know, in the fourth quarter with 30 seconds left in the buzzer clock, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, so I, I missed that, that whole part. But seeing how, I wouldn't even say, like, just how invested people were when they, when, you know, when we, when, when that, when we IP, IPO'd, it was really exciting because some people have been working here for four, five, six years, seven years, putting in from the bottom work, right? Going through all those different series B, da, 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 da. Building customer segments, you know, building different verticals, literally from the ground up. So seeing the like camaraderie and like the teamwork that went into that. And when we, when we finally IPO'd, like that was a really good moment. And that's something that like, okay, it's an IPO. We kind of know what that is for the most part, but like being in, in, in inside of it and seeing how like just, the camaraderie, that's that's a different thing I've never had, right? And I feel pretty blessed to have, you know, experienced that at such a young age. Um, that was crazy. That was crazy. And on top of that, as far as growing, I think that one thing that's great is that, like, it's very easy to kind of, like, take ownership and to help and grow the business, right? Like, okay, you might not be the CEO or CFO, but, like, your your contributions can directly affect the bottom line, can directly affect excuse me, creating use cases for other customers in that same vertical, right? That will enter in at later times, right? You mentoring somebody, you know, James mentoring me, right? He's helping me become more productive at work and, and, and affect Confluence bottom line as he is himself, right? He's being a rock star right now. We were on a call the other day, actually I think it was today, he just got, you know, called out for doing such a good job. So uh, it's it's a really good environment. It's, it's, it's fast paced. You definitely need to be, you know, top of your game as far as like making sure you're putting the effort in every day but it's really rewarding and i think that like your job being rewarding makes life easier if your job isn't you know rewarding sometimes it can kind of make it more of like a a hassle or something you're just doing purely just to survive but when it's rewarding man it's great mm. so i appreciate you sharing that insight and i, I can only imagine because you, you read the press releases you see the opening bell at the New York Stock Exchange, and I can only imagine the energy inside the organization at the time. So appreciate you giving us that peek behind the curtain. And uh, just wanted to ask you one last question. Actually, I got mm-hmm. two last two last questions, but wouldn't mind going back to an experience earlier in your career, because I imagine as you enter this new company, you're navigating new places, new spaces, new relationships. And you actually spoke about an experience that you had at the North Carolina Trucking Association of all places, mm-hmm. where you're, you know, you're a young salesman at Goodyear, you're getting a chance to rub elbows with some of the big wigs in the industry. And one of the things that you shared about that experience, because you did very well there, was how important it is for individuals to control the feeling of not belonging, especially when you have the skills and the knowledge to be successful. Can you unpack that a little bit more for us and, and for the listeners today? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. That's, that's a, that was a really big moment in life. Um, sometimes I kind of overlook myself too. I think the biggest thing is that when you see a lot of people, sometimes so for this, this example, right? These are business owners, like their families have owned these companies and they've built up million dollar companies they own buildings and schools and they do charity and right raise five million dollars right houses on lakes everywhere but on top of that they have growing businesses right that feed a lot of people but sometimes 
you know, the representation of what you see might be something. You might think that like, I might need to look a certain way and be a certain age to have this. Or you might think that like, well, I'm 31 and I haven't done, I've only done this much so far. Or I'm 21, I've only done this much so far that you don't belong. And it's really easy when you just don't feel like you fit in or you didn't maybe grow up in that environment to kind of not value yourself enough. And that's when people tend to make like bad decisions that might hurt them long term or to really just not pursue something that might be there for you. Like and there might be opportunities literally there for you. You just need to walk with a little bit of faith and just trust yourself and your ability and you'll get it. And I think for me, you know, sitting down and having conversations with people who are like 55 and have a business that generates like $300 million a year, $350 million a year, $500 million a year, or they own this, or they're the third generation of this large trucking company, right? And everybody here is essentially millionaires, and I'm just trying to make it. I got, I'm just trying to pay my apartment rent, you know, and pay my card note, right? So um, going through that experience and having conversations and having people like compliment you and, you know, having, you know, conversations that lead to closing deals on people being like, man, how old are you? You're what? Man, you're... Okay, you know, I'm actually impressed, man. You, you know, I'm, you should have been coming here before. Or I want you to call me specifically, not the other guy. Those kind of conversations happen, and you kind of like, you're hearing it, and it's like, at first you're kind of like, oh, he's just being nice. And then you have conversations, and you have follow-up conversations, and your boss calls you, hey, I heard you talk to so-and-so. Like, that. It's like, you know what, like, you know, you almost have to remind yourself and pinch yourself, like, this, uh, you know, I do this. This is what I do. This is what, this is what I came to do, and I'm doing it. So not necessarily pat yourself in the back and be complacent, but like take that as a stepping block. You know, it's kind of like Kobe. Kobe came in very aggressive his rookie year, right? You know, and people just like forget that he averaged like, I think seven or 12 points his rookie year in the league. He wasn't always averaging 31, 32, 33, right? He had a rookie year where he averaged, but there were moments where he went, went up and when he needed to put up 35 points in a game or dunked on somebody, whatever it was, right? And he built on those like building steps, and now he drops 81 points in a game. He dropped like what was it, 60 or 62 in his last game ever in his career. Like mm-hmm. he built on his confidence and doubled down on it. He was humble, but he was definitely assertive for a better use of words, right? <laughs> he was gonna tell you that he was assertive and he was uh, confident in himself. So I think that the more that people can do that, you know, and, and especially a lot of people who might be minorities and you. You might be, you know, I can either go into this environment where I'm not as comfortable and it's something new, or I can kind of maybe just play it safe and just stay right here. I mean, take the jump, you know, of course, be smart, definitely, you know, you know, cross, you know, cross your T's and dot your I's, but take the jump, you know, make, make a name for yourself, bet on yourself, you know, I'll bet on myself 10 times out of 10, right? And Mm. I feel like making this move to confidence. You know, was definitely doing it. And if we're being honest, I've had days where they're great, and I've had days where I'm like, man, this is kind of a grind sometimes, right? Because it's such a different sales motion. I'm calling somebody, and I'm like, in my head, I'm kind of like, man, I don't know exactly what to say because for nine years, I could be eating shrimp cocktails in a hot tub in the middle of Las Vegas. I know exactly what to say on the phone, right? But now I'm kind of like, I got to really think about it and make sure I'm doing it and put the time in after work and kind of recite it. So, you know, the best thing I would say is just bet on yourself. Just bet on yourself. Do it. Do numbers. Just, 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 just make a name for yourself. Make a new path. Mm. Somebody's watching know. you. <laughs> Look, so I, I feel like you just came through and dropped all of the knowledge uh, <laughs> today. And you know what's funny is I was going to ask, and, and I feel like that was a mic drop moment right there too. <laughs> but just as, as a, as a, as a common courtesy, 
mm-hmm. wanted to leave you with the uh, with the last word that you may have for our brake liners who are listening, trying to figure out what that next step might look like. I think I might know where you're going with this, but any words of wisdom, any words of encouragement that you may have for folks that are trying to navigate that path? Yeah, I'll say two things. One thing I'll say is like, you know, dealing with adversity, and if you change careers and you know you're going through the Blakeheim program, you're gonna deal. With, you're gonna deal with a level of adversity going into a new role, going into a new space. Try and find something in your life that can definitely try and you know keep you level. Something that might be a passion, a hobby. For me personally, as we've talked about, I do photography. You know, my dad, my uncle, my grandpa was a photographer. So for me, that's something I enjoy. It's also like a side business. But like when I'm taking pictures, it's kind of like being in high school and playing basketball. Like you're just on the court playing basketball. So that's somewhere you can go and you walk out of it and your problems are not gone, but you're kind of level set. And you're like, okay, I can go back into battle now. I would say find that. And the second thing I would say is this, that, you know, you really got to take time to to find out who you want to be and you got to do it, right? People always fall in love with like what they want to do and who they want to be but they a lot of times fault on the execution. And I feel like right now in my life, that's something I'm really trying to double down on. So, you know, I'm 31. I'm really thinking about how I want to live when I'm 62, 65, 55. How do I want my kids to live? How do I want my, you know, my future wife to live? What I want to be able to do for my parents, for my loved ones. That's all dependent on what I do right now, as far as making good decisions. And as far as like how I treat my career and work and how I network and the aspirations I have, and, you know, I guess eating my own words, executing every day, right? And if I don't mm. execute uh, how I wanted to today, I started journaling, okay? That's a personal thing. I started journaling recently, right? I'm writing down what I did right, what I did wrong, you know what I mean? When I was younger, I, <laughs> I wouldn't have done it, and I definitely wouldn't have admitted it. But just execute every day. Like uh, Anthony says, my, my manager, Anthony Tran, you know, every day at least get 1% better. If you can at least get 1% better every day, you're definitely going to get to where you want to be. And sometimes you're going to go down before you go up. The stock market always goes down, but what does it always do? It always goes up. So just definitely stay on stay on task and just focus on executing every day. Brother, I appreciate you. I really Certainly do. appreciate you, man. And you know what's great about this story is I feel like it's one thing to, to talk the talk. It's a completely different thing to walk it. And... As someone who has been a small part of this journey with you, so absolutely inspiring to see you live the wisdom, live the advice that you're sharing with our community today, to have the intestinal fortitude, really, for lack of better words, to look at where the gaps are and say, hey, this is how I'm going to improve, right? Every day, I'm going to put up that 1% a little bit better, 1% improve, improve, and, and, and to see that play out over time, Man, you 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 gonna be a dangerous dude. You a dangerous man. So appreciate you coming through, dropping some in- insights for our breakline community. Wishing you nothing but continued success at Confluent. I know y'all are moving thank like you, a rocket ship right now. So appreciate you carving out the time to be here with us this evening. And for all our listeners, if you enjoyed this story, y'all know what we need you to do. It's one of three things. Go ahead and like subscribe and if you're feeling really good go on drop us a review there in in apple Podcasts. we love your support it keeps the show going keeps getting the word out there and most importantly 
We'd love to hear from you. So on that note, AP, I appreciate you, brother. Thank you, this sir. Is, I appreciate you. This is Kenny Vaughn with my partner in crime, AP, and we signing out from the Breakline HQ. Until next time, folks, y'all be blessed.